Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. Well, hey, we're going to get into it. I'm so excited in this series, the book of Philippians. Now, if you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to go watch last week. The message is up from last week. It was called More and More, and I spoke out of Philippians chapter 1. Now, I'm jumping a little ahead this week. I'm actually going to have to go back to chapter 1 next week, but I'm going to get into chapter 2 this week. So if you got your Bible and stuff ready, that's where I'm going to be, Philippians chapter 2. I'll be there the the whole message. Um, But this passage of Scripture is... um, I would say my top five. Now, my wife makes fun of me because when I talk about movies, I always talk about my top five, and I put a ton of different movies in my top five. But legitimately, I would say this is one of my top five uh, greatest passages of scriptures that have influenced my life. And I, I'm going to read it from, from right here. This is my NIV 1984. They don't make this anymore. My parents gave me this Christmas, I believe, 2001. And uh, I love this translation, and I love just this passage of Scripture. So read it with me. It'll be right there for you to see, view on the screen. But also, if you got a Bible, you can uh, underline it like I have and tear it up and, and dig into it. But here we are, Philippians 1. Let's go verse 1. I'm going to read all of verse 1 to 11, and we're going to take it all in together. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Whoa! Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I just tell you that I'm excited to preach this word tonight because I believe that this word is saucy, this word is spicy. I mean, this has got some heat on it. I can't, like, it's going to take me, like, just patience because I want to get right to the end because I just know what God has to speak to us tonight. But I'm going to start right here in the beginning. We're going to dig into this. Would you pray with me? Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Word of God and to encourage us and remind us of who Jesus is. God, we need a reminder right now of who you are because in this uh, crooked generation, it's so easy for us to forget. We, not need, we need not just a reminder of who you are, but we need also a reminder of who we are in Christ because, God, we know that we were bought at a price, created for a purpose, and every breath in our lungs is made to praise you. So that's what we're going to do tonight, not just through song and the other things, but right here through your word, we're going to praise you 
through this word. I ask that, Lord, you would just encourage every heart. I ask that those that feel like they're far from you, like they could never step foot into a church, they'd realize tonight, right here on a screen, they are in church with the people of God because it's not where we go, but it is who we are. And right now as we gather together, we are in church because that is who we are. Lord, I ask that this word, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, would speak so strong to our heart that we would understand clearly fully what you've done for us, that we might walk in the confidence, Lord, of who we're called to be. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Everybody says, amen. Amen. Let's get into this. Now, I kind of set it up quite a bit last week with this series with the book of Philippians. Again, so if you haven't got to watch that, uh, watch last week the message more and more because I'm going to kind of skip ahead to just getting now into the actual text with a little less of that context and all of that. So the writer of this letter, who is the Apostle Paul, he is somebody, if you read the book of Acts, who had this crazy experience. He was murdering Christians. He's on his way to murder more Christians. And Jesus stops him in his tracks, shows up in this blinding light. And Paul, his name was Saul, now becomes the Apostle Paul. He now became the greatest missionary, the greatest apostle, which means to be sent. That's what the word apostle means that the world has ever, will ever, did ever see, okay? And he goes, and he goes to Macedonia, to Philippi there, a city in Macedonia, and he speaks to these people, and he writes this letter. Now, I want you to notice here that I'm going to be using now uh, NIV, which means uh, New International Version. That's a translation of the Bible. I'm going to be using 2001 and 1988. I just, uh, 84. I just read from 1984, but I want to give you a thought here from the 2001, because this just, this hit me really strong. The Apostle Paul, twice in this passage, verses 1 to 11, he uses the word, therefore. Now, this word has a kind of a lot of power. He's making this statement, therefore, like, hey, listen up, therefore, give me your attention. I'm about to say something important. And it's interesting, because he uses the later that we're going to get to, but right out of the gate in the 2011, which is the most modern translation of the NIV, he uses this word, therefore, to draw our attention to the details. Look at this, verse one. Therefore, it comes out of the gate. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, we'll stop right there. That's verse one, dot, dot, dot. Check this though. Therefore, And he uses a combination here of words. He comes out of the gate with therefore, and he goes, listen up, therefore. And then the word he follows up with is if. Now, this is a kind of an interesting combination because he's going, therefore, if. Now, he listed a bunch of things, therefore, if, blah, blah, blah. But what he was saying is very simply, therefore, if Jesus has benefited you in any way, he's saying, listen up. Literally, that's what verse one is saying. If Jesus has done anything in your life, if God is good, if God has done anything, I mean, that could be like, Matt, you were like in a a, a near death experience or almost a car accident. And you're like, whoa, like how, how did that, how did I not just get in that accident? God just did something in your life. If maybe you were struggling with addiction and you overcame that, like whatever it is, right? Fill in the blank. The apostle Paul saying, therefore, if God has done something in your life, dot, 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 look how he follows it up. Verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now look at this combination. He goes, therefore, if, in verse one, 
And then verse 2, he uses the word then. So it's called an if-then statement. Uh, man, we do this plenty of times. We go, hey, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. Hey, if you make this for me, I'll go do this for you. Or like for, for me, I kind of probably do that with my wife every once in a while. It's like, hey, if you like make me this food I like or make me some ice cream. Or, I, I've been loving popcorn lately. Pastor Luke and Kay got me all these like seasonings. So I do, I'm like a white cheddar guy and some garlic Parmesan stuff. But I'll be like, hey, Sid, if you make me some popcorn, then I'll, and I fill in the blank, then I'll like clean the dishes or something. You know what I mean? We do this a lot with people and with God, but it's interesting right here that the, God is using the Apostle Paul to do this to us. And Paul is saying, if God has moved in your life in any way, then four things. You need to be of the same mind, same love, same spirit, and same purpose as other believers in Jesus Christ. He wants us to be unified. He wants us as believers in Jesus or those that then would believe upon Jesus and follow him to be of the same mind, same love, same spirit, same purpose. Here's the problem a lot of times is we don't take this seriously enough. And so what happens is we actually spend our time being of the same mind, same love, same spirit, and same purpose as people who aren't believers. So what we start doing is we start doing the things they're doing, listening to what they're listening to, acting the way they're acting, because we are actually becoming the same with them, of one purpose, of one spirit, one love, and one mind. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, don't get it twisted here. If God's done something in your life, and he has, not a single one of us can hear for a second, pretend like God hasn't done something in our life. So if God has done something for your life, then this is what he's asking of us. We talked last week a lot about how Paul, even in the midst of his hardship, even in the midst of being in prison, that he had this joy for the church at Philippi. He says here, do these things, meaning say mind, love, spirit, and purpose, and that will make my joy complete. He's like, man, I've been praying for you with joy. I've had like the joy of the Lord as I've been going about things. Man, let me tell you, he's saying, church, if you will do these things, if you will have the same mind, love, spirit, and purpose, I'm telling you, my joy is going to be complete. Now, I understand part of this because the joy that I have watching our ministry right now, y'all, is like next to none. I'm probably full of the most joy and I'm the most proud of you all. The way you're treating VIPs, the way you're loving each other, the way you're praying for each other, the way you're inviting people to things, like the way you've just kept hope alive and faith alive and you haven't given up, but you kept going forward strong. Like this is making my joy complete. It's like bringing it to that completion, but it ain't there yet. I'm kind of like the same as the Apostle Paul in this case. I'm just like, okay, if my joy is going to be complete, like Paul's telling the church at Philippi, he's saying, then we got to be of the same mind, love, spirit, and purpose. If Jesus has benefited you in any way, then we have to. We have to. It's not like, it's not an option of whether or not we should. It is right now here God telling us we have to, especially in this season, separate but not separated. We have to be of the same. We have to have a oneness with one another. And I feel like for some of you, this is a difficult thing because being in separate locations makes this harder um, because almost it's like when you could be in the same place with people, you could sort of vibe off of their, um, 
vibe off of their worship or vibe off of their vibes. I don't know. And that almost sort of like got you engaged to the point that you could begin to step into what it meant to be of the same. So it's like they were worshiping and they're lifting their hands and you're kind of like, oh, they're lifting their hands. Okay, I guess I'm going to lift my hands too. You showed up and you're not really probably going to plug that much in the message and you're sitting there and then somebody's next to you and they're like, that's good. That's good. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, maybe I should dig in a little deeper. And now that we're in separate places, now that we're no longer in the same places, you don't know how to be of the same mind, love, spirit, and purpose. The thing is, though, God never said when you're in the same place, then you can be of the same mind, love, spirit, and purpose. He's actually saying no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you can be of the same. There can be a oneness. So how do we become of the same with other believers if we're not together? Well, I guess let me answer with another question. How did the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi do it. Here's the Apostle Paul in Rome, in prison, 800 miles away. Here's the church at Philippi. They ain't together. And listen, they didn't have Zoom or Instagram or FaceTime or phone calls or texting. They didn't have any of these outlets. They didn't have we're one online like this to all gather together. Yet how did they have the opportunity and the ability to be of the same mind, love, spirit, and purpose? Well, one of the things is letters. The Apostle Paul, a good old-fashioned, they didn't have Zoom and all that, but they would send letters. And these letters, that, what we're reading right here, this, Philippians 2, 1, 11, this is a letter. The Apostle Paul sent this in a letter form to the church at Philippi, and that's what we're reading. It's a legitimate letter that they received that he spoke to them in. Now, when he's speaking to them in this letter, that brought such hope to them to learn from what he was saying to continue forward. Now, you know, we probably don't send letters. I know a little bit about uh, letters, especially right now in quarantine. Like, it probably ain't the best thing to be sending letters and sending our germs, but I know a little bit about letters. When I was dating my uh, wife, well, no, we weren't dating. We weren't even dating. I was into my wife. I was like, she's over here, like, shaking her head over here. I was kind of into her. I was trying to figure it out. I was feeling it. And then I felt like if we were just had the ability to constantly Facebook, uh, that was more popular than even Instagram at that time. And uh, if we could FaceTime and, you know, actually Skype might have even been more popular at that time than even FaceTime. Wow, that's taking me back. Uh, and texting and phone calls. If we were doing all that, I almost felt like it was kind of going to get us distracted. I was new in the ministry here uh, in Michigan, and she was away. It was kind of almost like Philippi and, and Rome, Michigan and Minnesota, right? And so we were writing letters during this whole season. I, season. I remember waiting patiently to finally receive a letter. I remember she would tell me stories finally when you know, we're, we're dating, engaged, married, and she would just be like, man, I just, I love those days of letters. It was like kind of like a knot in my gut, wondering like, is a letter going to come? How's this going to turn out? You know, it's like almost kind of like not feeling great about it. But at the same time, when that letter came, I remember I made, I made her wait like a month or two months or whatever it was when the first letter came. This is what the Philippian church, this is what they're experiencing. This is what Paul is experiencing. Waiting on this 800 mile distance to receive these letters, to be spoken to by the Holy Spirit, to be in this unity, in this oneness, in this sameness. So the Apostle Paul and the Philippians, along with 
letters one, I'm giving it away already. There was four essential things. So four things that the Apostle Paul is saying they want to do. Say mind, love, spirit, and purpose. And there's four ways that they achieved this without Zoom and all that. And we have access to the same four things. And they're kind of interesting. So one, the first one, the most important, number one, is the Word of God. The Philippians had the Word of God that the Apostle Paul taught them. Number two, they had the Spirit of God that Jesus gave them. They had prayer to God that kept them aligned with heaven. And then they had the Apostle Paul's letters that kept them unified and comforted and almost kind of replenished and refreshed knowing that God is still speaking, that, that you know the Apostle Paul is still thinking of them and all that. So how does this translate to us? To be of the same, yet in separate locations, how do we do this? Well, what I say? I said, Word of God, Spirit of God, Prayer to God. Let's start there. We have a Bible. Anybody can get access to the Bible. It's the same Holy Spirit they had. It's the same God we can pray to that they had. And for us, letters would be like social media, Zoom, ways that we stay connected. Now, if you're wondering like, okay, I don't own a Bible. Usually if you came to our physical location, we give you one. If you just go to our, go to our website and go to we'reoneyouth.com slash online. And if you click the button, I accepted Jesus. It'll take you to the bottom. You can download the Bible app right there. Digital Bible on your phone. We want to get that in your hands. Here's what's crazy. You talk about the Bible, the Holy Spirit, prayer to God, and basically connection. Social media, Zoom, whatever it is, keeping connection, community, accountability. We have all the same stuff that they did. And what's crazy about it is you're thinking, okay, we're not together. How do we stay of the same mind and love and spirit and purpose? Well, here's what's crazy is when I read Philippians 2 here in my house and you read it in your house, check it. We're taking in the same exact thing. So how do we be in the same mind, love, spirit, and purpose? It's the same word of God speaking to us. It's the same Holy Spirit speaking to us. It's the same Father that's listening to us. And then from there, we use things like YouTube with We're One Online and ways to connect and have that. It's almost like our ways of writing letters to one another. Paul is declaring here to have a certain oneness, a sameness. This is the vision. He's casting a vision. He said, I want you to be of the same. So what is the mission to fulfill that vision? What must we do in combination with the things I just listed to achieve the vision of being the same? What do we got to do? Well, Paul leads right into verse 3 and 4 of Philippians chapter 2. He says that you must do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, you got to really analyze this here because ambition is not a bad thing. A strong desire to achieve something is not a bad thing by any means. But selfish ambition is a bad thing because it is the point in which you aim to raise yourself above others, not just to achieve something, but to actually raise yourself above others and to actually step on them to get somewhere. Selfish ambition ambition is what actually drives people away. He says vain conceit. Vain conceit, all it is is excessive pride is what it is. And it aim, it's aimed at portraying yourself in a way that's better than other people. So now you're trying to get above people 
and you're trying to appear as though you're better than people, meaning people are caught in the crossfire of your arrogance. So what is the mission here? To fulfill this vision, say mind, love, spirit, and purpose, what is the mission? How do we do it? What is the only thing that counteracts selfishness and pride? Humility. Humility is the only way, it is the mission to prepare, to fulfill that vision. We're all selfish. We are, we are prideful. We are selfish. We are arrogant. We are all about ourselves. We, we're so easily conceited. Like anybody that has social media and you telling me in no way you're conceited or no way you're selfish or anything, we lying. Like you actually have to work and go out of your way to actually make sure that you're not being vain on social media. Because nobody just wakes up and says, hey, I look crappy. Let me take a picture of myself. Case in point, like most people go, hey, let me, let me I, I got to do up my hair, hair first and let me make sure my, you know, my teeth are brushed. Teeth are brushed, they ain't going to be able to smell it, smell it. Smell your breath. I always want to make sure they look shiny when I take my picture. Like, no way you're going to tell me that we ain't selfish or prideful with vain conceit or here the Apostle Paul says selfish ambition. There's no way. So what do we got to do to walk in humility? How do we walk in humility? Two quick, simple things. Uh, I lied. Hard things, simple points, hard things to do. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can. Number one, you have to pursue it. You have to pursue humility. If you never pursue humility, you will never actually achieve it. What do I mean by pursue? I mean, you have to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me to be humble. Help me to not be conceited or vain. Help me to not have selfish ambition or pride. Help me. I humble myself before you, Lord. Help me. If you don't ask for help, I promise you, you will never be humble. The Apostle Paul, he wrote another passage of scripture. He said, it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. You have to lay yourself down daily and pick up who Jesus is. That's why Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Because he's saying you have to actually execute yourself, die to yourself, lay down who you are, pick up who he is and follow him. Pursue and follow humility. The second thing is pursue it and practice it. If you don't practice humility, if it's something where you just go, God, help me to be humble, but you never actually practice it, how are you going to know if you're growing in the humility? Humility is never a, something that you get to a point and you boast in. It's just something you continually for the rest of your life work on. But the Apostle Paul is kind of, he's illustrating here, value others above yourself. Look to the interest of others. Be invested in others. I think during this quarantine, we have this great opportunity to hit each other up on a text, a DM, uh, a FaceTime, a Zoom, whatever it is. Hey, how you been doing? Hey, like what's going on in life? Like what are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? Like we have ways, so many different ways. Even our church, you know, we've been giving out lots of food to people with these emergency food drives. This Friday, we're doing this drive-in uh, prayer time where people can drive and we can just pray for them. Like, whatever it looks like, whatever we can do during this quarantine season, it's an opportunity for us to practice humility. Paul then, though, takes our understanding of a need for humility, and then he fully reveals not only what he's talking about, but he reveals who he's talking about. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, In relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In relationship with one another, 
have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The sameness, the oneness, the vision that he's sharing that he wants us to follow. It isn't just being the same with one another. But what he's actually saying is when you come to a place where you will take on the mind of Jesus Christ, you become the same with him. You actually then have the ability to be the same with each other. And can I just tell you that if you aim with your life to be the same with other people, it will fail you all the time. Even believers, even us as believers, we fail and we are so fragile in our understanding of following Jesus and having holiness. But literally the Apostle Paul is saying, if you want to be the same as the body of Christ, the same as believers, the same with one another, the goal should be to align yourself with Jesus, not align yourself with other people. But what happens is, as we all uh, make it the effort of our lives to align ourselves with Jesus, what happens then is we align ourselves with one another. We should want to be the same with Jesus, to be one with Jesus. Uh, you know, the, the theme scripture of we are one, John 17, 11. I pray that they may be one, he said to the Father, as we are one. Why should we want to be one with Jesus? Because Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus has a oneness with the Father. Jesus has a, a picture, perfect example to show us what it looks like, how to be one with God. And the way that the Apostle Paul breaks this down, it just gets me every time. I mean, like these next verses I'm going to read, I'm about to get in like the, the best part for me, my favorite part of this passage of scripture. These verses hit me every time because I'm saying Jesus has the perfect example walking this out before us to show us what it looks like to be one with the Father. That's why we want to be one with Jesus. Here we go. Verse 6. He sets up Jesus Christ, the example, verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So let's break this down here because this is the perfect example of what humility and sacrifice and all these things look like to be one with the Father and Jesus is the one that we want to be the same with. Jesus may have had the appearance, it says here, the likeness of a man. He may have had the appearance of a man when he walked on earth, but his appearance is trumped by his identity. You know, people have told me all the time, you know, Pastor Dave, you look so much like your mom, especially when I was like a little boy. Everyone was telling me I look just like my mom. I remember when it was my parents, uh, my family now has been at Gateway and my parents have been leading the church for 22 years. I remember the 10 year, wow, that went by fast, 10 year anniversary. Uh, Pastor Steve and I, my brother, we dressed up as my mom and dad. Well, since I looked like my mom, I dressed up as my mom, put on a wig and a dress. It was bad. You guys should not have to ever see it. I think it's somewhere in the deep buried in the archives and it's buried and hopefully burned. But we kind of made fun of them and had a good time. But people were like, whoa, that is freaky seeing you like that. You look just like your mom. I heard that my whole life growing up. I finally grew a beard to just make sure that I didn't have to look like her anymore. No, I was joking. I think she's beautiful. and I'm honestly honored because, you know, gives me some nice features here. But I'm saying... This is not what we're talking about with Jesus. Appearance 
is fleeting. Here's the thing. I may have had have the appearance of my mom, but my identity is not found in my mom. Jesus may have had the appearance of a man, but his identity is not found in that. Where is his identity found? Look at what the Apostle Paul breaks down in verse 6. He says, who being in very nature God. Let's just stop right there. That just, that six words right there. Who being in very nature God. John 1.1, if you go to the New Testament, the, the fourth book in the New Testament, in verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, a capital W, Jesus it means. And the Word was with God, meaning the Father, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. I mean, I know that's simple, but I think some of us have to understand that when he came and humbled himself, and when he came and he came to earth, he came with the identity of being God because Jesus is God. He didn't like show up in Mary's womb and then born at around Christmas time when we celebrate it. And that's when Jesus showed up on the scene. Jesus has been God, always will be God. And it's from the very beginning. And so Jesus who being in very nature God, it says. You have to understand that he left heaven and he came to earth and he gave up all of his authority to walk in humanity just like us so that he could follow the Father, trust him, and set the perfect example of what it looks like, leaving all of the of authority behind to walk in the humanity being just a human being. It says, in the appearance of a man, in human likeness. He put on skin and he walked among us to show us what it looks like to follow God. Why is this so important to understand? Because his identity is God. He had the authority of God and he laid all that down to walk in humanity just to show us what it looks like to live a humble life, what it looks like to follow and trust God. And then look at verse 7 how it illustrates what, what he went through for us. But made himself nothing, it says in verse 7, taking the very nature of a servant, God becoming a servant, being made in human likeness. What does this mean? When scholars have looked at this phrase, but made himself nothing, it literally means like a cup. He poured himself out. He gave up all that he had, all that he was, and he made himself nothing to be a servant. Think about the, the cup he poured out in the garden. He's there in the garden of Gethsemane right before he's going to the cross and he's, he's praying to God. He's saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. He says, yet not my will, but your will be done. He's in this moment with the cup and he made himself nothing. Jesus became the greatest picture of humility not just because he left heaven behind to come to us, but because verse 8 says that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What makes my God, my Savior, my friend, Jesus Christ, what makes him so special is not that he just left heaven and came here. That's, it's a beautiful myth Sounds like something I'd watch on a Disney movie or something I'd hear in Greek mythology. That is powerful, but really what makes the story so unimaginable for some people, so beautiful, something that I've received from the Holy Spirit to know that my God's so special is that he left heaven 
He lived a perfect life as a human that was God. And then he took the cross for us. There's a story of a missionary in Brazil that went to a church festival. And as he was there, he was going from booth to booth. He was checking out the knickknacks that were being sold, pottery, different little articles and uh, crafts and things. And he came to this one booth and there was a table there. And at the table, it said, cheap crosses. And there was the kind of these, cross, these crosses, little articles that you could purchase there and they were cheap price. And when he came to this booth and he read this sign, cheap crosses, this is what entered his mind. He said, cheap crosses, that's what many Christians are looking for these days. He said, my Lord's cross was not cheap. Why should mine be? Cheap crosses. I feel like many people, they're looking to serve a God to just make it simple, maybe to claim just some religion, just to go through, uh, I don't know, some rituals to call it good for a day and get to a point where you're just set with God. But see, it's not a cheap cross that Jesus had to carry. So the life that we're going to have to live is not a cheap life. It's not an easy life either. It's going to be one that has hardship. It's going to be one, one like this through quarantine. And God is watching. I promise you, God is taking note of every believer during this season that's saying, you know what? I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to gather with the believers. I'm going to keep being an encouragement. I'm going to keep getting encouraged. I'm not going to give up. God is watching. I promise you. God is seeing the sacrifice. God is seeing the joy. God is seeing the humility. God is watching and he is seeing. But listen, God's not looking for cheap crosses. God is looking for people that will say, you know what, I will continue to carry whatever Jesus asked me to carry because he was willing to carry the sins of the world. The Son of God humbled himself for us and he became obedient to the Father even unto death. His obedience, his faithfulness, his humility to God was so strong that even unto death, even death on a cross for your sins, for my sins, he was willing to take this. And after he humbled himself, you have to understand that it wasn't that he just humbled himself, but after the humbling came the humiliation. After he chose to humble himself and take the cross came the humiliation where they hung him naked for us. And they whipped him and they beat him. And the Bible says that his bones were bleached by the sun. He was unrecognizable for us. And he was nailed and he was pierced in his side. And he did it with us in mind. He did it with every single person listening, every single person that will watch this later, every single person that will either gather with us online this Sunday for Easter or one day walk into our church. He did it for every single one of us. And he was not only came into a place where he humbled himself, but then he was humiliated. See, there's a big difference between hum uh, humility and humiliation. Humility is lowering yourself. It's your choice to lower yourself below others. Humiliation is when you are lowered by others. He chose to make a conscious choice with the Father. Say, I will humble myself. And I will pay the price that no one else is to pay. And then on top of that, we spit in his face and we humbled. I mean, we humiliated and humiliated him and we hung him. Jesus took the cross 
Jesus took the humiliation. Jesus took it all so that we could be free. Jesus took it so that we could be in right relationship with the Father. Jesus took it so that when we pray to God, He can hear us because the blood of Jesus covers us and because we can be forgiven. Jesus did it for us. And I'm not done preaching. I actually got about a half a page of my message left. But before I can get there, see, I want to end my message in celebration. But before I can get there right now, I got to give an opportunity to whoever right now is listening. If you're under the sound of my voice, this is your moment. This is your chance to turn to Jesus. This is your moment to be so thankful under heaven that Jesus died for your sins and that he not only was willing to be humbled, to humble himself, but he also was willing to take on the humiliation to do it for us. He took on every single one of your sins that you have committed and the sins you will commit. He took them for you. And this is our moment right here to bow our hearts before the Lord, to repent before the Lord and say, Lord, we cannot do this without you. We're not going to make it through the quarantine. We're not going to make it through another day of life if it's not with you on our side. And I'm telling you, he's for you and he so wants to be with you, but you have to invite him to be with you right now. And I just want to take a second to just pause and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart as I give you an invitation right now before I finish this message. I'm partway through. I've never done this before. But before I finish this message, I want to give you an invitation to invite Jesus into your life. It's so simple. We're going to pray a prayer together. This is your moment where heaven and earth kind of stops for a second where you can say, I need Jesus. I can't go another day without him. If he's not with me, I can't make it. I need my sins forgiven. I know he paid the price. I know he took the cross for me and I need him. And so if that's you, I want to pray a prayer with you, a prayer of salvation. I just want you wherever you are to repeat after me and we're going to pray together and we're going to invite Jesus into this moment with us. We're going to invite Jesus into our hearts, into our minds, into our bodies, into every part of us. We're going to invite Jesus right now to forgive us and walk with us all the days of our life. So would you just pray with me and just say, Jesus, I invite you right now into my life. I'm asking you to forgive me my past. I'm asking you to walk with me every day in my presence. And would you spur me on into my future? Lord, I thank you that you shed your blood on the cross and you paid the highest price. You died for me so I could live a victorious life for you. So Lord, right now, I pick myself up and I walk in victory with the knowledge that you died for me. That if no one else cared, Jesus, you cared. If no one else was going to be there for me, Jesus, you're there for me. And so as I pray this prayer right now, Lord, I'm giving you all of me. I'm not holding on to some of it and leaving some of it to give to you later, but I'm giving all of it to you right now. And I just ask Jesus, as you I know have received me, that, Lord, you would now give me direction. Even as I pray this prayer, give me direction on how to follow you. 
begin to teach me through your word. Whether I have paper or a, a Bible app, teach me how to love you more, how to grow with you, and how to follow you like you followed the Father. I give you my whole life. I give you all that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I ain't done preaching. I just wanted to give that opportunity. Hey, if anybody, you receive Jesus right now, I want you just in the comment to put up some, put up some praise hands, whatever, and say, I accepted Jesus. If there's anybody that accepted Jesus, I want you to start and encourage them right now and let them know how thankful you are that they made the best decision of their life and that they're going to follow Jesus. But are you all ready to celebrate now? I wanted to give us the opportunity to receive him so that we could celebrate. See, the cross became earth's humility, but heaven's victory. Let me say it again. The cross became earth's humility, but heaven's victory. See, verses six to eight are the picture of the sacrifice of Jesus, his obedience to take the cross, his obedience to take our sin, his life to be a servant, to be walking in humility. That's verses six to eight, that he humbled himself, became obedient to the cross, paid the price that no one could pay but him, lived the life that no one could live but him. And so that is the humility we're talking about. But see, it gets better, y'all. Verses 9 to 11 is an entirely different story. Not only did he humble himself and become obedient to death, even death on a cross, but verse 9, therefore, you see it again, the apostle Paul dropping on us a second time. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Can we just stop for a second and give God a praise break wherever you are? Can you give God some praise? I want you to hoot and holler and give him some praise in your room. Therefore, God exalted him. Can I tell you, verses 6 to 8 might have been the humility, but verses 9 to 11 are the victory. They are the image of Jesus in all of his glory. The image of the resurrection in the empty tomb that we're going to celebrate on Sunday. The image of the ascension into heaven. The image of him seated at the right hand of the Father. And come on, somebody. It is the image of Jesus coming on the clouds, coming back for us. The trumpet sounds, the sky splits open, and Jesus shows up for us. This is the image that the Apostle Paul has given the church at Philippi, that he's given us today, verses 9 to 11, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Let me make it very clear, because when the Apostle Paul says this, that every knee will bow, you know what he's talking about? Every knee. That's your knee, my knee, that is people who decide not to follow Jesus, they'll have to bow and confess that he is Lord. You know, the best part is when the devil finally has to bow at the feet of Jesus and claim, you are the King of Kings, you are the Lord of Lords, you are the risen Savior, you are the one who is and is to come. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's going to bow his knee and he's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. This is why it's so good to follow Jesus. This is why we have such a great God. This is why this week we 
we celebrate. He might have died, we celebrate on Friday. See, I celebrate the cross. I celebrate because I know that the cross is not the end. It's the beginning of a victorious story in, in the name of Jesus. And so we come now to Friday, Good Friday, and Sunday on Easter. And I encourage you, be here. Friday, 1 p.m., Easter, 9, 11, and 1, gwfamily.com. I'm not giving a shameless plug. I'm giving a victorious plug that we're going to come together as a whole church and celebrate who Jesus is, that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But you know what? We're not called to just celebrate during the week of Easter. We're not called to just celebrate during quarantine. We are called to celebrate every day with every breath in our lungs, to bow our knees before him and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. God, there is no one like you. God, there is no one like you. We give you all the praise, all the glory and the honor. There is no one like you. Guys, this, uh, this message is so important. I encourage you, when this is done, share this message. This is so important. Because this is life and death for some people. Maybe you're still there and you're still even in the crossfire of your uncertainty and your pride, maybe your emotions, wondering if you can turn your heart to Jesus. I'm telling you right now, this is your moment. If you didn't do it when I prayed, I'm going to even pray a second time right now. If you want to receive Jesus, you just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. I commit my whole life to you, all my ways. In your awesome name, I bow my knee and confess with my tongue, you are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. That's right there. That's all you got to do, giving your heart to him. But I want to tell you that this is a message that we need to keep in our heart. Therefore, he might have had to be in the tomb for three days, but therefore he is resurrected. He is exalted and God has given him the highest name. This is the name we worship. This is the name that we live by. This is the name that the breath in our lungs gives him praise to. The name of Jesus. I love you guys so much. I just want you to know Jesus is with you. He's for you. He died for you. If it was only you, he did it for you. And he wants to walk with you through the power of the Holy Spirit and his word the rest of your life. I pray that you be encouraged today. Uh, I just pray that as you leave this night, this moment, that you would just know with such certainty like you've never felt, man, Jesus, he did something that no one else can do. He is the God I worship. He is the God I live for that you would know in your heart of hearts that you are a follower and that now as a follower of Jesus, you want to have the same mind, love, spirit, and purpose that he does, that we as a body now might have the same mind, love, spirit, and purpose. Let's do that, y'all. We are one. Love you.